it got me down. The thing I would focus on was how much have I done today? Not by reference to how many tasks have I completed for a client, but how many hours have I put on the clock? And that made me measure the wrong thing. I didn't get into the law to measure numbers. I got into law to solve problems and help people. Hi, I'm Belded Mankus. Welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. The podcast that shifts the conversation about purpose and strategy from what organizations should do to what business leaders are doing and what they've learned along the way. In this episode, I'll be joined by Aaron Choen, founder of Tenet, a specialist compliance and litigation law firm. Aaron talks about why his organization has two purposes and the separate ways he discovered each of them. He also discusses the importance of paying attention to emotion in developing your purpose and shares his advice on key things to avoid when developing your strategy. Aaron, thank you for joining us. Welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. You're the founder of Tenet Compliance and Litigation. Could you tell us a bit about yourself and about what Tenet does? Yeah, well, thank you for having me today, Melvin. Sure. So, Tenet Compliance Litigation, we're a law firm. So, I'm a solicitor and we're a law firm that specializes in disputes and compliance work arising out of fraud and financial crime. As a firm, we for a range of clients for, from individuals through to, to listed companies, predominantly on the side of the claimant or the plaintiff uh, and uh, helping companies reduce their impact to uh, fraud. As a solicitor, I've been practicing for 20 years, and the firm was set up in March of 2016. Mm-hmm. Great. One of the things I'm going to want to get into in a bit is, uh, you know, why'd you set it up and what's the purpose? But before we get into that, um, if you think about an organization and its purpose, you know, how would you define purpose? How does it relate to things like vision or mission? At its core, I guess, purpose, be it for yourself as an individual or for an organization, really should be the central tenet of why you get out of bed. It's the thing that drives you. It's the overarching thing you can look to, to say, hey, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing now. Purpose in our life could be our children, our marriage, our parents, our friends. You know, for some purpose might be, you know, money. I want to make more money. But it's the thing that you come back to as base camp. And, you know, I think every organization should have a purpose and one which its people can buy into, but are not forced into adopting. Mm-hmm. And you think an organization's purpose has to include some elements of social impact or, you know, in some ways have a focus on the greater good, or as you said, is, well, we're just here to make money. Is that sufficient? Yeah. A purpose is subjective. It is down to each and every organization as its own living and breathing personality as to what drives them. As I said, it's the reason to get out of bed, take your feet off that mattress and step out and say, yeah, today I'm going to attack the day. I think we'd all like to think that everyone would have a purpose which is altruistic and it's to better the world and environment and the people around us. But I dare say that there are probably some people whose purpose is, I've just got to make sure I maintain shareholder value and that means I need to make money and that's my purpose. So rounding back, I think purpose can be anything. It it can be altruistic and it doesn't necessarily have to be. We shouldn't cast judgments if it isn't. Um, even if we think the society and the world wants us to have a altruistic purpose. Mm-hmm. And do you think for an organization, its purpose is fixed or does the purpose change somewhat as the circumstances and maybe even the people in the organization change? 
I think it'd be foolhardy to have a purpose that doesn't flex. I think the central pillar of a purpose ought not change. It can vary slightly, but I think if you play around with your purpose, save for when you're trying to work out what your purpose is, but once you land on, you know, that's what drives the personality of, in my case, a business. And I think if you want a business to have longevity, you know, that infinite kind of approach to it, it's going to go on forever and a day. I think a consistency of purpose is pretty important. Chopping and changing is like starting a new business time and time again for your people. It leaves them confused. I think it can leave them without direction. And it can make them wonder why are they getting out of bed to do what they've got to do today. And you don't want people who work for your organisation to feel like it's a job. You want it to feel like a home and a career. So, yeah, I'm a fan of retention of a purpose once you've found it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is Tenet's purpose and how did you find it? So our purpose is driven by my aims and desires or my insecurities. I set up Tenet and it was just me as a lawyer setting up a firm after leaving a, a much larger firm where I was one of 380 partners. And I had a balanced existence with a chip on both shoulders. That I didn't like things like presenteeism and lots of targets. So I wanted to create an environment which was purpose-led to be the best place for our people, where they could be better versions of themselves as lawyers. So the first purpose for us is about around our people is creating the best environment so that they can be a better version of themselves at what they do. The second purpose is really driven by my area of interest in the law, fraud and financial crime. I don't think that purpose has to be achievable. It just can be you know, an ongoing aim. So my aim is to reduce the impact of fraud and financial crime for our clients, but as society as a whole. That drives towards information sharing, giving away countless bits of help without looking for a return financially or otherwise. I think it's fine for a business or an organization to have more than one purpose because it works for us. I have a purpose for our people and I have a purpose for what we're trying to achieve as a collective. Our organization has been driven by recommendation and referral and our team has been built by recommendation and referral from other lawyers who think, yeah, we want to work with our friends again and work in an environment of that nature. So that's how we've got to our purpose. Hmm. And one of those two purposes is about creating an environment in where people can be sort of the best version of themselves. What are some of the things that you've done or not done to create that? There are things that distract you in private practice as a lawyer. Those distractions are actually the KPIs for many law firms. They are numerical targets, billable hours financial targets, being in a certain place at a certain time so you can be seen. And I know that has changed massively during the pandemic. But for me, and having spoken to countless lawyers, people just want to be trusted. They're good at what they do. And if they're left to their own devices, they can be better at what they do if they're not distracted by reporting. Now, I understand in larger organisations, it may be, well, how do we know what our people are doing? How can we measure what we're doing on financial commitments unless we know what is being charged? Well, counter to that, I think you can still measure all of these things. People can still, in a law firm, record hours. You just don't have to measure your people against those metrics. And if you do that, what I found is we've left for people is a situation where they know they've got to get their work done. They're not watched to see that they do it within a certain period of time or a certain place. And the only thing they're left focusing on is the work product. And so we have a little motto at the firm, which is, people, product, profit. If we get everything right for our people, the environment they work in, 
their only focus is the work and the clients. We think the work product comes out better. The focus isn't distracted by, I haven't done enough hours, I've got to work out, I remediate that problem this week over next. And if you get the product right, guess what happens? People are happy. People pay. People refer you to other clients and you get the byproduct of profit. The profit side is actually a leap of faith. But the focus on the people is how we've done it. And we're trying to be the only litigation law firm which doesn't have these types of targets of billable hours and chargeable time. And we are being recognised for it now because it does work, because people are trusted and we're still here and we're doing okay. So how did you go about identifying or discovering these two purposes? It sounds like they very much came from you, but how did that happen? And as you've grown, has that changed at all? Yeah, I think when you're trying to find a purpose, you've really got to kick it around with yourself or your team. For me, when I decided to leave and set up Tenet, I wasn't being particularly great at three or four facets in my life. I wasn't giving all I could to my hours at work because I was being pulled in different directions. I had young kids at the time that were three and seven. My father wasn't well. He was in and out of hospital. And I just wasn't achieving everything particularly well. I was trying to be all things to everybody, but ultimately a jack of all trades and a master of none. And I started to have the idea of like I wanted to be in charge of my own destiny, but I also had thought processes of what were the things that made me feel like I wanted to leave? What were the things that made me feel down? And like I wasn't mastering any particular element. Where I worked and where I had to be was one of them. I wanted to at least hear my kids or be in the, you know, the vicinity of them growing up. I might be at my desk, but I can hear their personality flying around in the background. So autonomy to work where you want, when you want, was important to me because it allowed me to dangerously blur some lines at home, which I accept, but also be more visible. And I think physical visibility to children is quite important. And then I looked at myself at work and I thought, what were the things that made me feel insecure? And it was all the jostling and positioning to show within a firm what you were achieving. And we all knew at the end of every year, the achievement was always measured on on financials. And so for all the things you did on corporate social responsibility or business development, it always came back to financials ultimately because it's a business and it has to make money and run. And it got me down. It got me down. that The thing I would focus on was how much have I done today? Not by reference to how many tasks have I completed for a client, but how many hours have I put on the clock? And that made me measure the wrong thing. I didn't get into the law to measure numbers. I got into law to solve problems and help people. And I thought, well, is this just me? And I spoke to a few former colleagues. They had the same concerns. So, you know, we focus on the wrong things. And so that all kind of came together when I was looking for, you know, to set up tenant. And so I sat there with my wife. When I talked about what this was, and I wanted a place where we could focus just on clients and just create the best environment for people to be better in this really challenging time of so many commitments in life and time. My wife found the note, the word tenet, and it seemed to sum up exactly what I was thinking of, principles and belief. And the purpose just made sense. It was, how do I make the great lawyers out there better versions of themselves? So that's how that purpose came about. Fraud is a separate thing. It's been an area of work I've been interested in since university days. I enjoyed criminology. I wanted to know why people did what they did. You know, did someone go and steal or white collar crime? Was it for greed or was it for other reasons? You know, it's typically because people are under pressure, but it really fascinated me. 
But what fascinated me more was that I've dealt with a lot of victims of fraud. And I've seen, uh, certainly, you know, I've had one client who's committed suicide. I've had other people who have been suffered really with mental health. I've seen businesses crippled. And this was a crime which often used to be talked about as a victimless crime. And often fraud occurs where people don't expect it, don't suspect it. And it often can be prevented if people know more about it. So I suddenly, I was more and more drawn to it. I got involved with charities helping on it. And it just became, it became a purpose. I, I want to eradicate it. It's an impossible thing to do, but hey, I, I'm out there to try and eradicate it. And if I felt that strongly about it, it wasn't finding a purpose, but it just was the purpose. It was the other purpose. Mm-hmm. I think you just know. And um, yeah, a question I've asked many of my guests, but did you do all of that, you know, sort of by yourself or did you look to external support? I think I did most of it by myself because I think if you're setting up a business, you inadvertently do this before you decide to exit your former home. You're already thinking about the things that are challenging you. You're already sitting there going, why am I here? Why do I want to leave? What is it that's, you know, what's the nub of this? And what you don't realize is you're tackling with your purpose being misaligned with what you're doing. You've got something doesn't fit right. And if you are a purpose-driven individual, so you're not thinking, I want to move because I can be paid better. And that's the only reason. If something doesn't sit right, you're already grappling with something grating against your purpose. So I, I think I started to articulate it before I handed in my notice and before I moved. And then I had other people help me articulate my purpose. That was the key thing for external. I had to talk about this a lot. Now, there were, there were a few journeys on setting up a business. You know, some people say that it was a big risk. I, you know, my wife was two days a week as a pharmacist and we had the two boys who were three and seven. And I left a very well-paid job to set up and start from zero. People say, hey, what a great risk that was. And I said, well, no, the biggest risk was actually on the part of my wife because she doesn't work in the law. And she was saying, okay, if this is what's going to drive you, make you happy, you go do it, I'll back you, even though I don't quite understand it. But what I didn't realise in talking to her about it was I was starting to articulate the purpose. I started to articulate why, be it for myself and getting the autonomy and, and just doing, you know, focusing on clients and focusing on, bettering something for society. And then I got to the business and we had a website. And someone said, well, you better document what you do on a website. And I was like, well, turns out I'm not the best at articulating sometimes. So uh, I had a friend who helped me on the web design and he helped me on the prose and articulating. And then I met a contact of ours, Roger, who who helped me from a business development perspective. So like, let's really articulate, let's drill down. What is it you're doing? And he actually talked about it as in you know, fighting fraud in terms of the, the outward mission. But in terms of the, the people mission, that was always something I just kicked about with my wife. I think you're always on a journey to better the articulation of your purpose because you want it to be easier for people to come along on the journey. Uh, so I'm still on the learning curve how to do that. And I'm hoping this podcast will help me do that as well. Right, right. Along that journey, have people sort of said, I'm interested in fraud and I want to work in a different kind of law firm, let me come join you? Or has it been more, I like what you're talking about, about being able to work in a different way. I could do lots of different law. If fraud's it, I'll join you for that. We have had pretty much most people buy into the firm for the how we do things around here. The, the reality is the people who join to work with us are, are usually dispute resolution lawyers, litigators, who've dealt with commercial disputes. They don't necessarily have to deal with a lot of fraud work, but they know their way around the framework of what we do. 
So they don't have to be specialist fraud lawyers or regulatory lawyers. They'll come and they'll learn the trade or refine their trade. But everyone, I think, has come because they see that byproducts of the human purpose, the people purpose here, it's really family orientated. They want to be part of that. They want to feel better about themselves. So they're more positive around their family. They're more present around their family. Even though they're working sometimes in longer hours, they feel they are. They're not just existing, they're living, I suppose. And I think that's what's driven more people to come to us. Mm -hmm. Some people would make a case, maybe not without a great deal of data, that feeling better about yourself and having the flexibility and all leads to actual better product, better law work. Do you have a point of view on that? Completely endorse it. Yeah. I, I think if we're happier as humans, if we're feeling better about ourselves, we will be more positive about tomorrow every day. We will be more positive about what we do. We will come at something with more gusto. We will have more self-belief in the confidence of our work. You know, it's work at the end of the day. You know, people aren't going to sit here and think they're at a theme park. But, you know, you want them to be happy. You want them to enjoy the camaraderie. I think I get better work product out of people. I think you're absolutely right. Happy people, better work product. Right. What's the tenant strategy? I mean, maybe you've already said what it is, but if you had to kind of sum it up, what's the strategy? I'm on a growth curve. You can have vision, you can have purpose, you can have strategy. What I've learned, particularly maybe openly in just the last six months is, unless you have action, all of that stuff in the left-hand side column, vision, purpose, strategy, strategy 2.0, 2 2.3, 2.4, 4.0, it means nothing. It means absolutely nothing unless you can action and, you know, try and fail. So what's the tenant strategy? The tenant strategy for six years has been really just about credibility and awareness. In fact, we're needing to change strategy now for two reasons. So the strategy we need to change now is a lot of our work is one-off projects for clients. So that means we have no annuity work. We are reliant on work coming in. Not exactly knowing where. We might have a group of referrers, accountants who might refer, or clients may come back with something similar in a compliance project. But often there's no annuity work. It's just going to be new work. So how do I guarantee I've got enough income for the following year? I can't. That's the danger with people businesses. It's not like tech. You don't have a sign up. We could have subscription models. Right? Maybe that should be in the strategy. But we don't have annuity. So we need to think differently. How do we build? But when I set up, right through maybe to towards through the pandemic i thought the only thing that i wanted to have a strategy was i wanted credibility and awareness i wanted people to know that as a firm we were worth trying or if someone recommended us it wasn't going to be a really hard sell so strategy and awareness was about piggybacking of other organizations goodwill because they partner with us and it wasn't a strategy about winning work directly. It was about being in the psyche of people. So, for example, we would engage with various industry-leading publications. And we'd say, hey, we'd love to write for you. We think we've got this really interesting thing to talk about. Can we do that? Um, getting involved in conferences. I enjoy speaking at conferences. I get involved in conferences. I got a lucky break that I, I, I got picked out to, to work with the BBC. And I've been an expert for the BBC and a few programs for about five years so that can be panorama or rip off britain but I, i'm used regularly by them but i'm not selling what we do i'm almost selling to our purpose about 
we know something that can help reduce the impact of fraud. Let us share it with you. Let us share it with you in an article. Let us share it with you in media. Let me share it with you in conferences. And by the way, let's tell you a little bit about what we do. And then we started to pitch for awards. We wanted industry to understand. We wanted our peers who are on award panels to rate us and say, actually, they're doing something different. Let's recognize them. So strategy then drifted to awards. And we been shortlisted for a number of awards and we've won a few awards. And that gives us the credibility now to where the strategy is probably going, which is continuing credibility and awareness, but bolting on, starting to approach organisation to say, hey, there's something about us. We'd like to talk to you about, about what we do, why we do it, but also that we've got some backing now. There's some credibility behind what we've done so far. And how did you come up with that strategy of credibility and awareness? You know, is it like the purpose? It sort of came out of conversations or? Yeah. I, I adopted it actually from my previous firm, DWF. Look, at the start, I set up, I was going to be a consultant. I didn't know I was going to be a law firm. Work started to carry on coming to me and I was like, oh, this is quite nice. And it wasn't, it was just, you know, people buy from people. That's the great thing when you set up a business is you realize people buy from people and humans want the, the little man to do well. You know, we're all G up, somebody to come big and then you know the press will shoot them down or something like that. So I didn't really think about strategy at the early days. It was just, hey, work's coming in. And then when I started to, you know, we got three or four people, I was saying, well, you know, how, how do we maintain this? And I look back to my former firm and they were a firm that went on a, a massive acquisition trail. They merged with lots of firms. And their strategy was, well, how do we make people think we're not just a bunch of silos operating under the same name? How do we make the market recognize us for with credibility? And they went after the awards, awards for management, awards for you know, data insight, awards for client care. And when we were getting to the point where people are starting to talk a little bit about us in articles, so how do we really bolt on credibility? So that drove my strategy directly from them. That drove my strategy for awards. The credibility and awareness around publications, which really, I stood back and thought, how do we get work? And it's an octopus effect. You know, we'll do a good job for one person or get an accountant's client and they'll tell eight people. I think there's an old saying, isn't it? If you do a bad job, someone will tell nine people. You do a good job, they'll tell three people. Well, we wanted lots of people telling three people and more. And then I thought, well, what's a wider octopus? And I just thought it's industry publications that automatically by association will make someone look at us if it's the right timing when they read it and think, oh, they must be good if they're in there or they must be good if they're commentating on that radio or that media source. So it's a balance of practicality, timing and a bit of experience. So as you've kind of developed both the purpose and the strategy, what's been either surprising or encouraging or unexpected along the way? Unexpected along the way is that it's worked. You know, that it's actually worked. Uh-huh. And not just, you know, colleagues, but clients, they really like the story of wanting to disrupt the market in terms of how we operate. Wanting to actually say, say you're a client, a prospective client, I'll say, actually, you know what, you are not my priority. My priority are my people. If I get that right, tell you what, you'll be really, really happy. You're going to not want to leave us. And they'll say, well, no, no, we should be your priority. I said, look, you're not going to sway me. You know, my people are my priority. And, you know, it's like onions, you peel a few layers back and they get under it and they understand why. So the fact that work continued after I've kind of maintained that stance has been unexpected and very encouraging. I found that a hindrance to it working has been time management 
And the problem with seeing something new, silver and shiny over here and running to it and then seeing something else silvery and shiny over there and you run to it is that you don't execute very well. And when you are time poor because it's working, you need a much more dedicated and accountable strategy. And that's the process of learning I'm going through at the moment. Better time management, people holding me to account to say, just pick a few things and just get those done and see them through. Because I'll, I'll get three ideas every week I want to run it. And I'm just going to be here in 10 years' time not having executed any. I'm challenged occasionally by other people say, well, you've executed one, the firm's progressing, but I think I could do better. Sounds like you're one of your harshest critics. So if I've got it right, you got started in 2016. So you've been going about six years and you're 12 people. Yes. Maybe not looking 10 years ahead, but looking, say, another six years ahead. It might be a little hard to predict, but where would you like to be? I've never had five-year plans. I don't think I've even had a one-year plan because I think you get chained to them and you can't flex and move and adapt. So we've grown organically and said, look, where it'll take us, it'll take us. Where would I like to be? Hmm. God, this sounds corny. I just want to be happy with what we're doing, doing work for people we like. And I'm probably having a bit more time on my hands to think about those ideas and read the many books above me on a shelf, which uh, interests me. I've recently, I've realized I needed a bit of business coaching. So I went to a workshop and in football terms, I'd been playing for the draw. I'd been saying, this is fine. You know, I like the people we've got. I like the work we're doing. Uh, the revenue's fine. The profit levels are good. I'd love to maintain this. The problem in business is if you play for the draw, if you play to stand still and just hold the ring, you will burst or fall backwards. And I went to this uh, session and someone said in the session, what's the biggest roadblock in your business? And immediately it dawned on me that I put my hand up and I was like, oh, it's me. You know, everything will kind of come through me at some stage and stop. And then they said, well, you know, what would the dream team look like in your business? And I said, oh, we're about seven out of 10 now, but I could do with another three hires at the moment. And I think that's where I want to get to in six years. I just want to continue to organically grow, but not be hindered by my own fears. Because I think getting more of the right people will serve more of our purpose for the society point. And hopefully I'll serve more of the purpose for the individuals who join us. So where do I want to be in six years? I want to be doing more of what we do now to help people and helping the people that work here and the organizations and people we help, ex help externally. Because if we're doing that, I'll be fine. If that's 50 people, if that's 25 people, if that's just 12 people, I'm pretty sure it won't just be 12 people, but <laughs> I'm good with that. I've got no set target. And what's been the most difficult part of that journey over the last six years? There have been some dark times. There's been times where I'm overwhelmed with the amount of things to do. A really dangerous byproduct of the people purpose here is that I will go out of my way to make sure they're okay, which often will mean that I will take on more work off their desks to make sure that they're not overwhelmed. Not revealing to them that I get overwhelmed as part of the process. And there have been times where I've fallen back into base camp of my former firm where I've got too much on at work here, not enough time for the family, the wife and kids. And, you know, with my father, he, he sadly passed away in my notice period. So he never got to see me do all this. He, he knew I was going to do it, but he never found out. So it's in my, you know, I look out for my mum. And there are times where I've, I've really suffered with how committed I am to the purpose. And three or four years now, I see um, like a counsellor, a psychologist to help me just train the brain, just to manage and articulate 
and have the courage to talk to bad people more. You know, really, well, ultimately, that's all drilling down to is I have a to-do list, which seems to, by the end of the week, increase rather than decrease. That comes back to that discipline of chasing the shiny thing in the corner and not being focused enough. But the hardest thing is realising that if you're going to drive your purpose, you've got to drive it for yourself as well. So I put the purpose of everything we do so far ahead of myself that I forgot about me. And then it didn't work for a little while. I was dissatisfied. I wasn't happy. I wasn't excited about tomorrow with this place. And then I spoke to people in the firm about it. Some were quite emotional. Some were horrified and just some were telling me off. And you realise actually you created a tribe mentality. Everyone's out here to protect each other. And they're like, why the hell are you doing that? Let me take that work off you. Let me do this. And they solved it for me. And I'll tell you what, Bill, that, that was probably my proudest moment is when I got to the depths of despair and thinking, I can't do, I've got nothing left to give. The people I'd worked hard to give them a place to be themselves, they all just gave up whatever they had to do and they just helped me and pulled me up. That's an environment I'd want anyone to work in. It's a good part of the learning curve. It's not one I'd wish on anybody, but it's been difficult at times. But the, the hardest part is time and focus. And delegate and, and learning to be realistic about delegation and possibly communication as well. Yeah. Any advice you might give to a leader, whether it's in business or elsewhere, who's grappling as, as you have with the issues of purpose and how to connect it with their strategy? There are a couple of tips, I guess. One, you can't understand and work out your purpose through blocking out two hours in your day and saying, right, I'm just going to move from this to spend two hours on purpose and strategy planning. I think you have to just switch off from everything for a week. And the only thing you should maybe schedule is some conversations to talk about what drives you. So if you're looking at purpose, it's what are the things that make you happy? What are the things that make you sad as an individual? And then with conversations with friends or colleagues, how do they apply to the business and work out what is it that would make you feel better about yourself and if everyone else acted and operated in line with that purpose? So I think it's giving yourself time. We run such busy lives. We've 100 plus emails a day. You know, we jump from one video call to another. How would I have been if I'd worked in an organisation akin to the one I'm evolving to create now? Would my life have been any different? Because I, I was laden with insecurities with the, the targets and having to prove myself for others in my head. You know, dropping off children to nursery and sprinting to the office and everyone else was there and I'd leave early and I'd, you know, I'd just be being pretty down about that. How would life have been if I'd worked in my own organisation, if it was here 10 years ago? And I'd like to think my life would have been far happier at that time. And you come back to your point about being happy and I think I would have been better at what I do. So yeah, it's create the world you know we want to live in i guess and just keep going for it on strategy the best advice i can give is there are multiple strategies which could work in any business i think in terms of executing and taking your purpose forward there are a number of strategies don't be aligned to one and don't be afraid to fail but the biggest thing is don't spend too much time on strategy without actioning something because otherwise someone in your field may well go and action exactly what you're thinking of doing and they're ahead of you. And you think, oh, I wish I just did it. There was a book I read when I was setting up the firm. It was called Do It Now. It was basically, if you've got something to do, just do it now, action it. It sounds like good advice. <laughs> 
Anyway, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. I think you've really shared a lot with us. Really appreciate it. No, I'm really grateful for you giving me the, the platform and time to speak. I hope something out there is of use to your listeners. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Purposeful Strategist. Please email any questions or suggestions to belden at mancus.com. In addition to being available on our website, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed this episode, we release a new episode weekly. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again, and join us soon for the next episode of The Purposeful Strategist.